In a world where radio stations are ten a penny... Can I have ten radio stations, please? That'll be a penny, love. Thank you. There is one radio station... There can be only one. There can be only one. There can be only one. That stands out from the crowd. I want that one. All right. What is this thing? It's River Radio. There can be only one. One that's made entirely out of syrup. <laughs> well, look at that. We're here. It's Thursday, one o'clock. Oh, You're listening. O'clock. Yeah. I'm corked. I'm corked with Brian <laughs> and Kath. And we have got a show for you today. What have we got coming up? Oh, it's wine. Well, yes, and crisps. <laughs> and crisps, of course, of course, and crisps. <laughs> right, today we are looking at... Well, we talked... It was the week before last, yes. so as not to cause confusion, but we discussed Bordeaux. Yes, we and did. And we got into sort of the thing about the satellites and decided that it was best to park that because mm-hmm. it all got a bit big. Yeah. So we thought we'd look at that today. So we're going to look at satellites around we're, Bordeaux. We're in Bordeaux yeah. on the main track. Fantastic. And we're going to then wheedle off that beaten track. Weedle? Is weedle a word? Can you I think, we, I think we'll be doing Wonder. some weedling. Some weedling and wandering. Yes. And we're going to go and head around a few of the Bordeaux satellites. Oh, well, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. And before we do that, though... Um, this week's wine, we're going to dive in. We are going to dive now, this, in. Now, uh, just, just the pronunciation of this, got to be careful, uh, Semillon. Semillon, yeah. Semillon. It's very simple, Semillon. Semillon. Semillon, Semillon. It sounds weird, as soon as you start saying it and thinking about it, yeah. it and sounds you, odd. And you have to do it in a sort of Frenchy accent a little bit, don't you? <laughs> you do. Semillon. But let's dive in. To River Radio. We've dived in. We've dived in. So what, what do you know about Semillon, Brian? Well, it's white. Yes, it's white. And You um, can get Semillon Gris, but yes, mostly. The one we're talking about today, it's predominantly white. Yeah, yeah. okay. Um, well, what do, what do I know about um, Semillon? Well, it's... Uh, I think it was... Uh, <laughs> it's like its main home is uh, Bordeaux, but it, it, in the 1960s, it was planted more than other varieties, wasn't it? Yes, I'm reading directly. In in, in Bordeaux, it was particularly heavily planted in the 60s, but obviously the red varieties have, to a certain extent, taken over now. Did you see what I did there? It was was done beautifully, I have to say. In fact, I I could just kick my heels up and let you go. I know. Just just in case you wondered what was happening, I was reading directly off Kath's notes, (laughs) trying to sound like I know what I'm talking about, but it didn't work did. We did talk about it briefly when we talked about Botrytis, and we talked about Sauterne and the great varieties in Sauterne, and probably... My memory's so bad these days, Brian. We probably mentioned it when we discussed white border, but I don't know if we got on too much onto white Bordeaux. But it is the primary white grape variety in white Bordeaux. But it isn't only grown in Bordeaux. So we're sort of still sitting with our theme here. Um, but it is also grown elsewhere. In fact, one of the greatest semillons is a single variety comes from Australia. Hunter Valley. Look at you. Again, reading off the notes, trying to sound like I know what I'm talking about. You didn't look like you were reading off the notes. I no, think I you re- knew I, that. I read you, it earlier. You've, you've been to... I've been there. And actually, they, it grows in Barossa, Margaret River, all over. It's planted all over Australia. And some of the, some brilliant wines, really quite modest wines that still taste great now, are made sort of in the 80s and earlier, are mostly Semillon. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And it's got so great th- staying power. As always, my, my, always, my first uh, question for these things, these new wines when we're diving yes. in, is always something along the lines of, oh. if 
I'm going to take my benchmark. Yes. Which is uh, uh, Sauvignon Blanc, as we all know. Yes. Um, where am I going? Where am I going? Left, right of it? Is it more acid, less acid? Is it more fruity? Is it, or is there a combination of different blends and well, nuances? Well, actually, in terms of blending partner, its common blending partner is, in fact, often Sauvignon. Well, there you go. So a white Bordeaux is often Semillon Sauvignon blend, sometimes a little touch of Muscadel to give it an extra aroma, sort of a grapey freshness to it. But yes, it's it sort of, in a way, it works with Sauvignon because they're slightly opposite. So where Sauvignon's highly aromatic, usually high in acid and can achieve quite high alcohol levels, Semillon is usually lower in acidity by nature and probably a less aromatic variety. Um, although the aroma spectrum shifts depending on the style of wine that's being made. Sure, sure. Yeah. Okay. But so, so the two together work quite nicely because one balances the other. So it, it can help temper maybe that gooseberry, elderberry, elderflower, cat pea aroma that Sauvignon can have. You see, I'm enticing you there with that. Um, that sort of extreme sort of blackcurrant leaf, tomato leaf, sometimes... Some people would say tinned asparagus quality that very extreme examples of Sauvignon have. It, it tempers that with more sort of citrus characters. Wow. So sort of a more toned down and actually often has like a lanolin character. So oh. waxy or lanolin is one of the aroma compounds people often associate with Semillon if you're tasting it blind. Okay, okay. Um, it's a little savoury edge there. So it, it, likes, it likes warm places then it's it, you know it, 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 it hunter does, valley yeah. in australia it does and well it but can have high alcohol as well but hunter valley semillon particularly is usually low in alcohol it's usually between 10 and 11 percent alcohol and has a freshness and a vibrancy to it that perhaps is accentuated by the lower alcohol um and it ages brilliantly it's delicious in its youth but you know five six seven years old it's still fresh as a daisy clear and bright it's a great variety that can see oak as well as be unoaked i think for my personal taste my favorite examples are usually ones that haven't been put into new wood um, but you can get great examples. You don't have to pay too much for them either. Okay. So I like it. If, on the other hand, you're making a dessert wine with it, it has thinner skins, so it, it's good for making Botryatai-style wines, and it is the key grape variety, again, in the production of Sauterne. You tend to get more stone fruit characters, so you're moving away from citrus and more towards sort of apricot, peach, those kind of things, barley sugar. So is it is it used generally as... Um uh, as, as a blending wine or is it is it standalone on its own both, yeah. yeah i mean you see i think commonly in the new world in blends apart from obviously barossa and hunter often you obviously get your single varietal wines but across other parts of the world it's common to see it in blends yeah, mm. yeah. Mm. so there you go mm. I, I i'm actually a big fan of it i really like it because it gives you a bit of a change and i like the fact it doesn't have as much alcohol yeah which is quite nice i want to try a seven uh, now yeah, so the ones, my favourites, just thinking about them on top of my head, I think Broken would do really good ones. And actually they do a cricket pitch, which I think the cricket pitch is a blend of Sauvignon Semillon. But they do a straight different bins. They have some that are more expensive, straight Semillons from Hunter Valley. They're really good. Um, Tyrrells do a number of really good Semillons as well. Um, Peter Lehman in the Barossa. So they're all fairly big names that you can, you can find. And they did one release, I think, at Peter Lehman. They did one, it was named after his wife. I think it's called Cuvée Margaret. I know you're laughing. I thought you'd like that. And they released it sort of as a current release, but it's the 2012 vintage. If you tasted it blind, you wouldn't think it was nearly 10-year-old wine. Yeah. It's really astonishing. So it does have amazing staying power, which is why when it's petriotized as well, you get these amazingly long-lived wines. When it's petriotized as well, it develops quite a silky texture that people often like, or often people perceive it to be a creaminess in the wine. So in those, you know, classic um, Sauternes or Barzac might have almost a creamy quality to it and it's the combination of sugar, glycerol and alcohol 
that, that gives it that creamy texture. Yeah, really, really smooth, silky, creamy texture. I yeah. thought that was from the leaves. That that sometimes yeah, that can give it a different it texture. But this specific to this grape variety, I think, is you do tend to get that when it's botrytized. Okay, okay. And if if um if it, 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 it's keen on hotter places, d- yes. does it do well, or does it is it is it grown at all in further north in well on this hemisphere anyway, in slightly colder climates? Trying to think where it's grown out. So it's a place like Chile, they have it, South Africa. Okay. You'll get bushwine semion, neither particularly cold countries, <laughs> although it would be grown at altitude in Chile. Um, and possibly at a bit of altitude in South Africa. I'm trying to think New Zealand. Okay. It's, so that's not boiling hot climate, but then again, it's not exactly as cold as ours. But you'd associate it with the new world with being something that's slightly cooler potentially. I think climate, we talked about this before, is a bit of a tricky one these days because there's a serious muddying in blurring of boundaries with climate stuff going on in the world so what really is cool climate what really is warm climate if you think about it you get hot summers in lots of places some years and then you get pretty pants ones in others yeah 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 I think the specific microclimates might be more... You're looking at me like I've gone mad today. You see, if anyone... I know this isn't great for radio. If anyone can see Brian's face, he's looking at me as if to go, what are you talking about? No, do you know what? I was trying to just sort of uh, glance down at some notes and I sort of saw, first of all, before I sort of uh, got distracted and came back to what you were saying, (laughs) it says dry semignon wines are also found in graves. And I went, what? Graves, uh, grave. Okay, so <laughs> uh, that's why you're thinking, oh, God, we're back on death again. Yeah, it's a poison. <laughs> poison, poison, it's in graves. That. You exhume people and find semion. No, um, grave. So in Pesak Leonan is a subdivision of grave, and it's sort of, um, it, it's in the left bank. It's where Oprion is based in the broader scheme of things of, of Bordeaux. And it's where a lot of the really great white Bordeaux comes from. So you get great red Bordeaux once you get into Grave, but it does particularly well there. You've got sort of, if you're going to generalise, it's called Grave because the soils are quite gravelly. But then the left bank has more gravel. Um, the other place, which we might touch on when we talk about the satellites, is the Entre de Mer. So between two seas, so between the Dordogne and the Garonne. Is that right? No. The Gironde and the Garonne. Rivers. Rivers. Brain's gone blank. Rivers between the two main rivers in Bordeaux. Comes in. Anyway, blank. Absolutely blank. That's all right. It's all right. It's all right. She's fine. She'll figure it out. She'll remember remember when we play a song. Yeah. Um, But lots of white Bordeaux is grown there, sort of more generic, accessible, entry-level white Bordeaux. And obviously, Semillon and Sauvignon play a distinct role there as well. But in Grave, it's, it's the dominant grape variety blended with Sauvignon and Muscadel in some of the best white Bordeaux. Okay. And in the vineyard then, what are we looking at? Is it like a little, are they standalone bushes? Or does it have like a, a canopy type thing? On? Yeah, it was the Garonne de Dordogne. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, carry on. Um, bush vines particularly, but you can trellis it too. But when if you're wishing to make botrytized wines, you'll usually find it as bush vines. Because oh, there's okay. less airflow and things and it encourages a bit more humidity in the little in the individual canopy of the vine. Okay, okay. Yeah. All right. Well, I, I mean, what else do we need to know? What else what, do we need to know? So, I think it can offer really good value. Right. Um, the alcohol levels do vary. Acidity isn't always as high as you'd like it to be, but you can find fresh examples. Um, if you want something that has, if it's unoaked particularly, that has sort of that citrus clarity and a little bit more mouthfeel and weight to it, and you don't want something that's aromatic as a Sauvignon, if either 
it takes up the majority of the blend or at least 50% of the blend or it's a single varietal, then big ticket could be the kind of wine you'd enjoy. Mm-hmm. If you enjoy things like Grunewald Lina, um, maybe even things like Garvey from Italy, um, then you'd probably enjoy Semyon, I think. So Grunewald Lina... <coughs> is an Austrian wine, isn't it? Yes. So that that's a much cooler climate, but it has a similar type yeah, but of... Austria in the summer is gorgeous. Well, yeah, yeah. But it's very cold in the winter. Yeah. Ooh. Ooh. Mm. yeah. yeah. Well, in the, in the mountains. <laughs> I think you've lost it today. I have a bit. <laughs> it's a, I've, I've lost it all the time. It's just I've hidden it well you've so far. You've hidden it well. Today, it's just, yeah, you're demob happy. The crazy's out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, so yes, it is a cool climate as well. But stylistically, you've got a similar kind of texture on different flavour c- characters, but there's a, there's a weight to Grunewald Lina that would be mimicked as well in a similar way, but with different flavours in something like a semillon. Mm. So okay. it's not too scented, it's not too aromatic. So people who don't want those really aromatic styles of wine, it, it's brilliant. And really good examples sometimes almost have like a lime juice quality. So if you want things sort of on the, the, the greener side of the citrus spectrum. And colour-wise as well, that's one of the markers if you're looking and you're tasting blind, is that when it's in its youth, you get sort of a green-gold hue to it. Okay. Well, it, sa- it sounds like it can be... Um a, a little bit lighter, a little bit pr- mm. perhaps fresher than yeah. than a than a really heavy Sauvignon or something like exactly, that, yeah. which would perhaps lend itself to a, just a drinking wine if you are going to just drink exactly. without eating. Yeah, maybe uh, a Sauvignon would be a good choice. Exactly. Okay. And it's sort of it's not necessarily fashionable these days, but that's no reason not to drink it. You see, all the more reason to give it some love. It's the underdog, and and as a result. It's not quite as, you know... Yeah, And if you to want pay. to age wine as well... Well, let me just finish that because me giving yeah, that signal to you... I know what you, you're saying, yeah, exactly. <laughs> nobody else, no got one else can what see about. what you're doing. The bunts, that means, the money, yeah? It, you, you can get it for a little bit less. <laughs> me, totally oblivious. Yeah, yeah, Brian, we'll move on now. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot that's a sign language. <laughs> yeah, sign language. Yes, so Mental you can note. get really good value. And if you, you're in the process of trying to maybe set up or build a little cellar, but you're doing it on more of a budget... It's a really useful variety because if you bought yourself six bottles of a Hunter Valley Semillon, it might cost you a little bit more than a tenner, but you've got potentially 10, 15 years ageing capacity and the wines will drink nicely throughout that as well. So mm-hmm. it's a way to start. You haven't got to be spending hundreds of pounds a bottle to start building a, building a cellar and having wines which have a capacity to age. So why, why would you... I mean, not too many people, I'm guessing, mm. actually buy wine to have it aged these days, unless they're like you. Um, <laughs> I mean, I... I'd be thinking, who wouldn't? Yeah. Um, Surely that's normal. <clears throat> but why, why would you? Why would you buy it and then age it? Um, you know, like a, a, a Semignon here, it's, it, you, you think it would just be well, a if fresh... You really, if you enjoy wine, because it develops a totally different character as it gets older, it becomes more nutty. So you get sort of, you know, toasted hazelnut characters and a little bit more waxiness starts to come through and it, it takes on a totally different dimension, but it's still delicious and it's it's all part of a learning curve. It's interesting. So if you have a wine and you say you try a bottle every six months for X number of years, you will start to see it change and understand the wine greater. So I suppose building a cellar is something people often interested in wine do. Other people do it, I guess, like anyone does anything. Why do you buy an expensive watch or a house with a swimming pool, I guess? Same well, kind of reason go, you got go swimming. I, I'm exactly. <laughs> so it's to drink wine, um, or you maybe just building a cellar so that when you retire, you don't have to buy wine anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The tr- I think that's that. That's a little bit of because uh, I I like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday 
occasionally Thursday, but not not as often it should be. Mm. I, when I don't, I don't indulge in anything. Mm. So it, you know, I'm, that's why you retire. Surely, though, at some point in your life, you can just like, throw caution to the wind. Well, that, that's it. Okay, so okay, then you get the seller. Because what I was going to say, if, if, well, if you've I had done a all seller, the paying in advance, you've done the buying in advance, but yeah. you, you wrote you have it so things come in to drink, so that you can, in theory, if you plan it properly you're rotating it so you've got wines that you're going to drink so certain vintages are going to drink earlier than others potentially so they serve a different function you might group your cellar up as to wines that are for special occasions wines that you want to age for the next you know five to ten years and your everyday drinking wines okay it depends on on the remit so you you there is a there is a you know we're going off subject a little bit but (laughs) there is a uh a, a a a method behind the madness then mm. behind, in a wine cellar because I was just thinking just bung it in there and then, oh I fancy that one today well that you can just do that if you want but some people they, they have different everyone has a different brief when they're building a cellar and for some people it's topping up or they suddenly realise that their cellar is full of lots of wines that are all very much the same so for example let's say we've got Brian's virtual cellar in front of us mm-hmm. lots of Cabernet lots of Sauvignon and you're like oh, I'm a bit bored of these so you want smatterings of other things in there. And it might all be to drink over the next three things that would you could drink now. But if you forgot about it and found it in five years time, you go, oh, that's nice. Yeah. So yeah. then that's the added bonus. See, I, I'm imagining in my cellar, what, what you'd have to do is like move the boxes of Monster Munch and what's it. <laughs> and then you go, oh, I forgot I had them. a special them. humidor for the crisp cellar. That's like specially temperature controlled. <laughs> The wine's just bunged somewhere else. It's yeah, fine under yeah, stairs. Yeah. You, you know, I've been... I've been um, special racking. <laughs> yeah, I've been aging this uh, particular box of Monster Munch for a, almost a month now. Exactly. <laughs> and this is the small section where I keep my popcorn. <laughs> Does popcorn go with wine? Can do, yeah. Which, well, I'd, you would have to have a sweet wine for it, wouldn't you? Well, you see, this is, we're going to come back, we're going to debate, yeah, see, if it's a salty popcorn. Oh, and you should never have salty popcorn, by the way, but yeah. I don't agree, see, I don't do sweet mm. popcorn. But it depends on the popcorn. So you could have a sweet wine or you could... If you think about it, especially a salty one, if you anything that you'd have with olives or salted nuts, yeah. salted popcorn. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Salted crisps. Yeah, but but if you want something salty like that, you'd have olives or crisps, and popcorn should be sweet. You're just anti-popcorn that's not sweet, aren't you? Yes. You're just starting a campaign. I had some popcorn the other day. It had chocolate popcorn. Ooh. It was horrible. Was it? Yeah, it just didn't work. What did they do? Just sprinkled sort of like cocoa dust on it. No, I'm not sure about that. If they'd coated it in actual chocolate, that could have worked. Mm, don't know. Anyway. Anyway, um, yes. just like a massive digression there. Although, just to stay on the digression quickly, we were given a sample popcorn, a big bag of it, that you would have liked because it was sweet, but it was ginger toffee popcorn. Mm. So it was like toffee with, with ginger spice. Okay. It was very tasty. Yeah. 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 Did you have wine with it? No. Why are we talking about it? Exactly. We just <laughs> talked about popcorn. Because obviously that's relevant to Semillon. Yes. Yeah. So, okay. So, Semignon then. Um, is it, it... You said it's like the underdog. Why is well, that, It's just think? not fashionable, is it? Is it just a fashion thing? You or? see Pinot Grigio, you see Prosecco, you see yeah. Sauvignon everywhere, but you don't see people shouting about Semignon. And there's less of it under vine, in fairness. But it's it's just not popular or fashionable necessarily. But it's really, you know, it, it could be good with food. It's versatile. We'll talk about that at the end. And when we get to our menu match, just yeah. to keep everyone on the edge of their seats. We're not going to give... There's no spoilers here. No. You've got to wait till the end. Um, but, yeah, I, I think anything that's just sort of not fashionable is a bit of an underdog, really, because wine does follow trends. Okay. For a lot of people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so trendy now, then, is the pre- P- Pinot Grigio and... 
things like that, or Riesling. I bet well, that's people, no, people, people never drink Riesling. That's a real wine trade wine. No oh. one wants to drink Riesling. Well, you should. You should, definitely. I love Riesling. Yeah. 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 <laughs> anyway, look at anyway. the time. We've dove in. We've <laughs> we've, we've dived in. We've we've definitely digressed. Yes. Apologies. <laughs> <laughs> but don't go anywhere because right after um Lou Reed, I think it is, isn't it? Satellite no, of Love. No, oh no, yeah, no, you changed in the it. Wrong order. Oh. They're in the wrong order. I'm sorry. We're doing okay. Leanne Le Havis Green and Gold. Well, right after that, yeah. we're gonna be going off the beaten track and those Bordeaux satellites and we're beginning talking about some of those little areas you might, might not know that offer good value. So today's all about value. Oh, it's a value. You might have missed them. Don't go anywhere. It's River Radio Uncorked with Brian and Kath. Just like the ancient stone ever 
voice of the Thames Valley. River Radio. I think I like it. Uh, You give one quick twitch and the thing is done. Well, there you go. Look at the time. It's 1.25 on Thursday. Um, Something of October. I'm sure there's a date for today, but I can't think what it is. And you're listening to... (laughs) Honestly, genuinely, weeks pass too quickly now. I know. As a result, I have no idea. Seventh. Really? Yep. How did that happen? Well, comes after the sixth. (laughs) 7th of October, it's um, Uncorked here on River Radio with Brian and Kath. We're talking wine and all things whiny. And today we are... are, We're going back to Bordeaux, but actually we're going off the beaten track again. Um... Because yeah, we, had, we had a foray so far off the beaten track yeah. that we ended up coming back onto the main track last week. We did, didn't we? Yeah. Yeah. But we're sort of going back off the beaten track, we but are. we're staying around that area because there's all sorts yeah. of little bit things. A bit tired. Are you? We did quite a lot of walking, so yeah, I thought we, we wouldn't go too far. So we're talking about the satellites. So okay. predominantly we're staying on the right bank. So last week we talked about Bordeaux in general, mm-hmm. and we talked about the left bank and the right bank and the different communes within each that most people come across. Yeah. And then... We alluded to the fact that there are other little areas dotted around that offer great value for money or different appellations that offer good value for money. And we're going to talk about them now. Fantastic. So is this area that we are in, Bordeaux, yes. although I have been there, but only briefly, can't really remember. Is it like a flat area? Is it mountainous? Is it hilly? What, what's, what's the landscape like? I think one might say undulating. Undulating. Undulating, yes. Mm. Uh, to be fair, most of the satellites that we're going to talk about today are on the left. Sorry, the, left bank, the right bank. God, left and right. I have to put my hands in front <laughs> <laughs> so I know which is left. Um, no, they're on the right bank. So they are located predominantly around Santa Emilion and Pomerol. And actually, Santa Emilion and Pomerol, it's the left bank that looks flatter. Um, but again, it's quite undulating. So you go into vineyards that sort of are low-lying undulations. But there are more hills and things on the right bank. So Santa Emilion, the town itself, is built up on a hill. Okay. And predominantly, I guess, it's the south-facing um, sides of those hills which... which mm. Although now in are. some of the satellites, you'll find vineyards planted in different directions. Now, with global warming, you'll see very often, particularly in a really hot vintage, something which is facing maybe west or east or even north-facing can be an advantage. Oh. Yeah, you see, it's all getting a bit more complicated. And actually, in a winemaker's or a viticulturalist sort of portfolio of tools slightly different facing vineyards are actually really helpful because you can get different nuance and of course if you're planting different clones or different rootstocks you can still get desired styles so you might have a small plot that faces a little bit more northerly perhaps than would be deemed to be ideal in the northern hemisphere but it provides grapes with really good fresh acidity and a sense of clarity especially in something like Merlot, where potentially the tannin won't be as high and or even if the tannin is a bit higher and it brings a bit more structure and freshness to what could be either a wine that particularly in a warm year is either the alcohol levels are likely to be higher because sugar's accumulated it's been very ripe or very warm so you know they all can serve a bit of a function so that, that's really interesting so so i mean it's it's really clever in a way that you have all these like patchworks of vineyards in different directions and different areas slight so differences yeah in different slight... areas of the vineyards we talked about microclimate and how a yeah. part of the vineyard could be naturally hold more water there's a bit more clay there it's where the runoff goes but actually in some years that's an enormous advantage because you've got a water table if it's a drought year yeah so it's a particularly hot year and it probably ripens more slowly yeah you're going to use more of your stuff from mm. off the south facing hillsides and then if it's actually quite a, a cooler year 
you might you, you, predominantly you, you, use you yourself facing. More south facing, yeah. I, do you know what? I just get it. It's I think I'd be good to walk vineyards to actually go into vineyards with producers and walk them because right. you get a real feel for the movement of the landscape, and you'll notice that you know, from a distance, it may just look simple, but actually. The rows are changing, the way they've, they've chosen to plant those rows. All of those things play a part in creating a particular microclimate and help them achieve a style of wine they want. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so the planning and, you know, the actual management of it starts in, you know, really does start in the vineyard and yeah. the, the laying out of the vineyard and all, all sorts. It's, it's fascinating. So, OK, so we, we're going to look at some of these little um, satellite places. Yes. Now, the idea is, as, as um, I understand it, is... Because they're not in the Appalachian Bordeaux and they can't claim to be Bordeaux, they're very similar in a way, and so you can get some great well, value. I think, yeah, they can be, I think some of them can be called Bordeaux. It's also potentially Bordeaux wine on the label. We should have brought one along to have a look. Oh, yeah. But they aren't in central, the area that's designated as either Saint-Emilion or Pomerol. They are a separate area, and many of them have produced wines for many, many years, but they didn't achieve the same, perhaps, international acclaim. Okay. So they're less well-known. So stylistically, in terms, ultimately, climate soil types yeah they aren't hugely different so you can get great value for money because they're less well known yeah it's actually as simple as that so again it's something that is less trendy less on trend therefore you benefit so sort of some people may have heard of would be things like Cote de Castillon La Lande de Pomerol Fronzac and Canon Fronzac so they're sort of near a Pomerol um you also see things like Bordeaux Superior on labels Cote de Bordeaux which is (laughs) <laughs> New Appalachian, which I find very confusing, um, and the Entre de Mer, and then closer to Saint Emilion, you get things like Montagne Saint Emilion, Puisquin Saint Emilion, and Lusac Saint Emilion. So, around those areas, you've got these smaller areas. There's actually loads and loads of them, but there are certain that you see more often. And so, Cote de Castillon is one of the bigger of them, and it's it's not too far from Saint Emilion. Soil-wise, I mean, it's a big Appalachian. Um, it covers nearly three thousand hectares. Wow, it is big. Yeah, so it covers a big area, and there's at least 350-plus producers probably in that area making wine um, or selling their grapes. Um, And it's usually divided into two areas. You've got sort of a limestone clay plateau, and then you've got other areas which have a bit more clay. So the soils aren't dissimilar to Saint-Emilion, really. No, I'm I'm sure they're not. Yeah. Yeah, so with the right grower, you can find some really, really good wines. Again... Dominant grapes are Merlot and then Cab Franc and then Cabernet Sauvignon, really, in this neck of the woods. But Merlot is the one that plays the key role in the same way that it probably does on most right bank wines. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I think some of the other Bordeaux grapes may well be planted as well. Things like Malbec that we talked about the other week and Pussy Verde. Um, yeah. So old vines are there as well, 50 year old. So they do go back a long way. Sometimes they ripen sooner, so sometimes the satellites are the things that are picked first at harvest before the main wines, really? or young vines are picked first, yeah. Why would that be? Again, it could just be to do with aspect and location. Okay. It just means that they, they ripen sooner and they can accumulate. I remember in 2005, which was recollection of a pretty warm vintage and I was there, there was talk of things in areas like La Londe de Pomerol hitting already potential alcohols of 14 or 15 in early September. You see that that for yeah. some people, and uh, I'm going to include myself in that. That that to but me that's is potential alcohol doesn't mean it's going to achieve oh, okay. when it's fermented, because obviously some of that burns off as you're fermenting. Because you, yes. you're going towards like sherry territory there, isn't yeah. that about sixteen or something? Yeah, 18? although there you fortified, so you're yeah, bringing great yeah. spirit into the way you perceive that alcohol level is always slightly different. Sure. Yeah, but yeah, but yes. any, anything that's over twelve. I mean, twelve for me is yeah. enough. Yeah. You know, that's I'm, I'm quite happy with a ten. 
10. You see, well, yeah, he says, he says, look at that bastion of virtue over there. <laughs> <laughs> so then there's regions like La Londe de Pomerol, and that's actually not too far from Pomerol, funnily enough. <laughs> it's slightly north of Pomerol, just a little bit to the south of Saint Emilion, so it's kind of between the two. Um, and again, similar source to Pomerol. The best soils are usually clay and gravel, so you've got some drainage, but a little bit of the clay as well to keep things cool and help contain the ripening. Um, again, Nayak's probably where you get your best things. Merlot dominates. You'll see the similar pattern coming here. So stylistically, if you like one, you'll probably find a wine from another region that you would enjoy as well. Yeah, and it, and it, once again, with, with these French, the, these pesky French wines, yes. um, you just really need to know that, that something like uh, what Fronzac or Canon Fronzac or whatever, the, however you pronounce them, yeah. you just need to learn in a way the style of that area or know that it's yeah. almost you know right bank area. So, but if, if you enjoy Bordeaux and you're finding that you're buying wines from the left bank or from Santa Maria or from Pomerol and you're finding them disappointing, it's partly because those wines, you know, the, the benchmark of pricing is naturally higher because the very top properties are so high mm. and the others can benefit from sort of. I suppose, hanging on their coattails to a certain extent. And there are great wines, but they're always really quite expensive compared to what norm, everyday normal drinking would want, you'd want to spend anyway. Yeah. And these regions really come into their own because you can find good quality wines that would sit between, I guess, the 15 or even 12 and £40 pound mark rather than paying 40 to a couple of hundred plus. Do you think that French wines are generally um, just... A little bit overpriced. I mean, I've heard oh, that before. God I've almighty, here that. he comes with the controversial questions. I've heard some, I don't know who it was, what I read somewhere, somebody told me that because they've got this great reputation, mm. you know, are they just a little bit on the toppy side? I genuinely, I think it depends on the producer. Right. And you can find great values. So if you go to regions, again, that aren't necessarily fashionable, like like La Londe de Pomerol <laughs> or um, the Languedoc Roussillon down in the south or Alsace or the Jura, you can find all the Savoie, so head into sort of the Alpine areas. You can find amazing wines that really don't cost too much at all. It's just a matter of knowing where to look. So, yeah, Chablis and things can get quite pricey these days. But if you go to the Loire Valley and you go and buy Muscadet, you can get a great wine without spending too much money. So you really do just need to know your onions when it comes mm-hmm. to French supply wines. And, it's, it's basic economics. It's supply and demand that yeah. will push pricing up. And once you reach a certain level, you're usually kind of un, unwilling to come down. Yeah, 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 yeah. Or too so, much anyway. I mean, another great reason then to just continue to listen to Uncorked here on River Radio, Voice of the Thames Valley and all of that, on web, on mobile, on Alexa. Yep, (laughs) exactly. You want to know where to get the bargains? Come and listen to Uncorked. Come and listen to this, because anyone who works in the wine trade can't afford the fancy stuff. (laughs) 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 That's basically the truth. Um, We do it for love. Yeah. (laughs) And the wine, but... But most people just pay us in wine. Um, <laughs> so you can't pay any bills, but don't worry. Yeah. Um, so Canon Fronzac, this one, this is, again, it, it, it's not far from Santamina and Pomerol. <laughs> Sounds like I'm repeating the same stuff again and again. But this is west of Liban, which is one of the main sort of business capitals on the right bank, which is sort of quite a big city. And it, 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 the Canon Fronzac and Fronzac region are divided across seven communes and you can get really, really quite complicated but if you just look for canon fronzac or fronzac on the label again you're going to get a wine that's predominantly cabernet or merlot with cabernet franc and then cabernet sauvignon there's a little bit more malbec i think 
planted here that gets put into the blends. So you, you get a slight different character, but if you enjoy Bordeaux, again, it's going to taste like a wine from Bordeaux. Um, it's not as big as Cote de Castillon, which I think sometimes helps, and the producers are more contained. And again, it's it's the limestone plateau where you, with clay, that you get the best wines. So it's again, it's up on a particular plateau, and it is that limestone character coming out in the wines. But they offer good value for money. Okay, and most of these um, these 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 wines, I guess I guess a, it just depends on the, the the winemakers. But are they are they barreled and are they usually yeah they usually are the percentage of new oak again will vary, and most producers won't be using a hundred percent if only for cost effective reasons. But also very often it will drown the wine. So there will be an element of barrel aging. So just 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 cover that with me again. New oak because new oak. it hasn't been used before, it ha- or it's yeah. new. So if it's brand new, and it'll impart more flavour. In much more flavour, and then of every course every year that flavour will reduce the flavour that it will impart. I will see. Reduce. Yeah, 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 yeah. So you don't want to just sort of overbear the actual flavours of the a lot of wines. Yeah. What wines would you want to overbear with that? None. <laughs> But it's all about knowing how to balance it and be careful doing that because some growers aren't necessarily as careful as others. Um, and, it, and it's trial and error as well because, again, they've only got one hit and sometimes it's practicality. If you've only got these barrels to use, then and it's learning a style of wine that you want to make and the impact it will have. And, again, you've only got one hit each year. Yeah. How much uh, – this is probably a really difficult question, but how much sort of difference does – like just one year. So if I had brand new barrels mm-hmm. and I and, and then the second year I use the same barrels, does that make a huge difference? Significant, yeah. Is it really? And it, it depends on the toast of the barrels because you can get different toasts and different producers of barrels from different forests. So we talked about oak one week and it's, it's yeah. yeah, there's a lot of options. Sure. But even if you buy something that's sort of classically medium toast and say it's a trancé barrel, it, it will absorb a certain amount of flavour. Now, there, there is some debate around the use of new wood in Bordeaux because there reaches a point with wines when you taste them where you probably can't tell necessarily how much wood they saw. But what it does in their youth is it gives them a, a fleshiness, a sweetness and an accessibility. So the wood tannins and the ageing process, because in a small barrel there's more oxygen ingress. So you've got an oxidative aging process I mean, it's still contained obviously because it's in a in a barrel but it helps soften the wine sooner so there it has been talk about people particularly in Bordeaux where people taste on premier so they taste before the when at vintage but before the wine is bottled and released blending samples and using new wood to create a wine that is possibly more accessible and pleasing to the critics palates okay yeah so yeah, there's some so the, the, the some thought that the people use it that way, or that potentially the blends that you're tasting and on premier tasting aren't what the final wine will taste like. Okay, yeah, but so the the, the, the biggest drop off though is after the first year. So the se- first so second year, to third first year, year, second year, third year, yeah, and then you'll get to a point where it it just becomes neutral. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Ah. So you'll sometimes see if you see a spec sheet, it will say fifteen percent, so one hundred percent barrel aged. 15% was new wood, 25% second fill, you know, 20% third fill and, you know, the rest. Oh, OK. So, so so very often then they don't just leave it to age in the same barrel. They'll leave it for a bit in no, one no, barrel, the, then so they move it over to another one. They can do that, yeah, and they do do that. So if they're tasting and they think that actually it's taking on too much wood, they can choose to rack it into a barrel that's going to have a more neutral character to it. Or when they 
take the wine and they've pressed it and they're putting it in for elevage which or aging they will put it into the different barrels at that time so if you go into a barrel room you might see that it's a, a single cuvee but the barrel ages are all different for the same cuvee and at the end they'll taste all those barrels and they'll decide what will become the final blend wow so they're not necessarily moving them all the time but they can rack regularly into different barrels yeah so it, there's yeah the level of complexity it's like it, yeah. You know, we've already... Do, we the were brain sp- starts to explode. It does, because we were speaking earlier on about, OK, I'm going to take a patch from this vineyard. It's it's a cooler year, so I'm going to have more from the yep. the South Sea. And now I'm getting to the, the barrels, and I'm, you know... Yeah. You know, and sometimes they may choose Mucking about to, with all those all the time So as well. standard, standard barrique, so the smaller barrels, are you know, usually around 228 litres, but somebody may decide, actually, let's stick this into a 500 litre because it's not going to impart the same, it's got less surface area in contact with the wine. So they think, well, actually, let's put it into an older barrel that's 500 litre, because then we can temper the influence, because actually it's taken on more wood than we expected this year from this cuvee. The astonishing thing is sometimes you'll taste a wine, and you'll think, God, they've hardly used any wood on this at all. And then you'll discover that the percentage of new wood is like 60, 70, 80%. But there's so much fruit and character in the wine that it can take that and it does not overpower it. There's so much concentration there. Other wines, all you can taste is oak. Yeah. And yet it's a fine line again that they have to, that they have to, they have to, tr- they have to tow. They don't put their toe in it, do they? Well, <laughs> actually, sometimes. I mean, not as a tasting thing. Like stick is like yoga in the yoga in the in the yeah. winery. You stick your toe in and then lift it up to your mouth to taste it. That would be disgusting. No, they do. What are those? Um, those long pipettes. Pipettes. Yeah. yeah. So they take the cork out the top, don't they? The bung. Yeah. The bung, and then they drop in the pipette. Lift up the finger. Put the finger over to hold it in, uh, and then yeah. do it in the glasses. Okay. No, I was thinking about the other ones with the little um, <laughs> little cups at the bottom. Little cups? Yeah, they're on a long, long thing with a tiny little cup. They dip that in and bring out a little cup. Oh, yeah. Nor- normally when you taste the wine, they have like a pipette and it's like a glass tube. Not the places that I and buy my wine from. it's got a hole on one end and a handle. Yeah. And they hold it, they dip it in, it fills up, they, they block it off and it holds it in. Yeah, yeah. While right. they put it in, they release by lifting their thumb up in each glass. Yeah, That's not- an art form. If you get that wrong, there's wine everywhere. <laughs> okay okay so um what do i get on to the, oh yeah because i was yeah, asking so we, you about we, we, how much was today, in wood. today the theme of today is clearly digression yes yes, yes. actually so sorry everyone who thought we we've only we might have to cover some of this next week um well we'll keep going for a we'll bit where, 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 where do we get up to coach de borg so we were gonna yeah so coach de borg and coach de bly um are two other key regions that you sometimes see on labels yeah. now it gets a bit confusing because they created a thing called coach de bordeaux a thing that's a technical term, an Appalachian. And it's the youngest Bordeaux Appalachian in, in 2008. And it declared that four previously recognised communes, communes, which were the Côte de Blay, the Côte, Côte de Bordeaux itself, Côte de Castillon and Côte de Franc would all merge. Okay. Um, I know for sure that the, the, the Côte de Borg, who were in theory included in this, declined. They said, nah, it's all right, thanks, we don't want to be a member. And obviously Côte de Castillon still exists as it is, so... Maybe they just flit in and out as it pleases them. Again, it, it, it comes down to grower choice to a certain extent. So you do get these other ones. So Côte de Borg is actually one of the oldest wine producing regions in France. And people don't realise that in the same way that Fronzac used to make some of the most expensive wines in Bordeaux. But it's not as trendy anymore, so it doesn't. Bizarre. You see, that's, that's a classic example of trends. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Fall from grace. 
Yeah. I don't think that's actually fair. I don't think anyone fell from grace. Um, but it's, grace. it's quite the reason why it's one of the oldest regions. Who's <laughs> grace? <laughs> um, the Cote de Borg, we're back on now. Sorry, I'm digressing as well. Um, it goes back to the ancient Romans, but it was near the, co- uh, the port of Borg. So again, it's a bit like we talked about Bordeaux last week. Part of its success on the global market is that it's on an estuary. So yeah, it gets yeah, yeah. out. You've got uh, shipping. Okay. Yep. Um, but the Cote de Borg in the modern area really started in 1936 when the appellation was created um, at Borg Saint-Gironde. So that or Saint-Gironde, which is where it is. And it's actually quite a big appellation as well. It's nearly it's over 3,000 hectares. Pushing okay. 4,000. Right. Um, we, we're going to have to scoot on with these uh, last yeah. few there. But just to mention them, uh, we've got the um, the Côte de Franc. Oh, you mentioned that already. Côte de Franc, yeah. But Côte de Blay, which is, again, another massive wine-producing region. Yeah. Similar story as before. Merlot dominates with Cab Franc and Cab Sauvignon. Um, yeah. Again, if you enjoy Bordeaux and if you enjoy Saint-Emilion, give it a try. Yeah. Closer to Saint-Emilion, there are specific Saint-Emilion satellites. And these... Predominantly are Saint-Georges Saint-Emilion, Puisigrin Saint-Emilion, Montagne Saint-Emilion, which is the one I think in the UK you tend to see more often. Really? Because I, I recognise the Lussac. And Lussac Saint-Emilion, yeah. yeah that, and that. so stylistically, they're not hugely different. The benefit with them as well is often they drink a little bit sooner, so you can enjoy them in their youth. You haven't got to buy it and age it again, spend lots of money, you don't need to have a cellar. Right, oh, well, that's for me, then make a so mental definitely note. definitely for you, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then you say Cote de Franc, and then things like Entre de Mer, which we could talk about another week if you want, because it feels like a separate planet sometimes. Really pretty, actually, the Entre de Mer. Is it? Is it around 2,400 hectares? Oh, look at you. Oh, hello, I'm really good at reading your notes. It's really pretty, these hills and little winding rivery bits, and yeah, oh, it's a nice area. That does sound If you want nice. an Airbnb, good region to go to. Yeah, well, yeah. there you go. So uh, we have off the beaten track... Um, for this week, yes, look, at, look at that track time. digressed and moved along. Don't go anywhere because we will be menu matching with Simon right after this next track, which is this time it is satellite of love. It's satellite to do with the satellites of Bordeaux. Yeah, you did but that. did you get the green and gold? I'm going to pick quiz you on that afterwards. Yeah, definitely. Up to the sky. Things like that drive me out of my mind. Watched it for a little while I like to watch things on TV Satellite of love Satellite of love Satellite of love Satellite of love Satellite's gone Way up to Mars Soon it'll be filled With park and cars I watched it for a little while I love to watch things on TV With Harry, Mark and John Monday and Tuesday, Wednesday to Thursday With Harry, Mark and John Satellite's gone 
Soundtrack to Life in the Thames Valley. River Radio. On the web. To the Batmobile. Let's go. On your mobile. Hello. And on Alexa too. River Radio. That's it. Hmm. I pronounce that River Radio, but I'm always working on how I say things and I might not have it right. (laughs) We're back. We are back. We're back. And we are now going to match our menu. We're going to match our menu. We Boy. no longer have a jingle for match. Oh, just put the intro on. Nobody, nobody will know. Nobody will know. Yeah. Let's do it. Hey. Not unless we tell them. Oh, let's dive in. It's a dive in intro. Oh, okay. Do we have an intro? Yeah, the uncorked intro. That one. There, there we, we go. go. That's just what I mean. Just playing with buttons today. Yeah. Nobody, nobody, nobody will know. <laughs> <laughs> so we are going to match our menu. Semignon is what we've been talking about. We have, and, yeah. um... You're going to find out all sorts of things about Simignon. Now, you always say you go to the area and try a bit of that. So, yeah. snails, French bread, <laughs> mussels. <laughs> Sorry. Snails was the first thing you thought of. Yeah. I bet it works. I was thinking, I bet it works. I was going to say, you're going to say frog's legs next. <laughs> oh, oh, no, I'm not that particular. Also, Also would work. Yeah. Yeah, actually. I've never had frog's legs, you but haven't. I think they're Grindy like wee. chicken, aren't they? Yeah. My dad, chicken instead. Yeah. Bigger, bigger legs. Bigger legs. Get more bang for your buck. Yeah, exactly. Going for the value here, just give me a chicken leg. Yeah. Or pretend it's a giant frog. <laughs> <laughs> yes, go to the region. It depends. What would you have in Australia? So you're in the oh, Hunter Valley. What Hunter would you Valley. have? Well, no, that's a good idea. Mm, a good uh, question, actually, because uh, Australian food is kind of like American almost. I mean, I can't think of anything particularly Australia, unless you're. I remember the... eating really well in Australia. Yeah, I mean, they do nice seafood because mm. most of most of their, um, you know, established towns and everything are by the coast, aren't they? There's not much really in the middle. Really good coffee. Good coffee. Yeah. 
Again, not to do with wine. Nothing to do with wine. You see, we don't just drink wine, Brian. No. We drink other things too. I see people having really good sake as well, in Melbourne particularly. Again, digressing. But yes, what do they have in Australia? What do they have in Chile? South Africa. Con carne. Con carne. Oh, God. (laughs) Okay, apologies for that. To anyone who's listening, Brian, today, honestly. I'm joking. Okay, so where do you want to start? If we start with dessert-style semion, because we talked about botrytis the other week, um, it does actually go really well with some savoury dishes. Okay. Can I say foie gras or pâté or parfait? You can say it, as long as you're not going to eat it in front of me. Yeah, but it works really well with those. Right. Yeah. But also blue cheeses, things that are quite salty, like roquefort, really good. Okay. Particularly in a vintage, potentially, where there's a little less botrytis, it really comes into its own. Yeah. Lovely. So you can have it with che- savoury dishes. Yeah, cheese is always a, a, a bit of a safe bet, isn't it? I think when in doubt. Yeah. Have some cheese. Okay. Yeah. And that's the sweet semillon. But table wines, again, broad range. Uh, God, no, I can't speak today. You, you're making jokes that are epic. Oh yeah, epic. <laughs> epic. We're digressing all the time. We can't stay. It's like we can't concentrate. We're like two naughty children. Yep. Anyway, um, if it's slightly sweet, so there is a little bit of residual sweetness there, or a bit of botrytis, but almost fermented to dryness, so that you get that botrytic character. Asian dishes, things that aren't too spicy, oh, okay, will work really well. Mm-hmm. So, um, trying to think things which have a bit of creaminess to them. So maybe things with coconut milk in, things like that, will work quite nicely. Also will work with things like um, asparagus, leeks. So if you're on a veggie sort of thing, things like asparagus and leeks, it will work really well there. Fully dry. Again, most sort of lighter meats. So pork, veal, um, chicken. You can have your chicken legs. Chicken yeah. drumsticks and semillon for Brian. Yep. Roast roast chicken would be really nice, actually. I'm thinking feeling quite hungry now. Oh, I always am <laughs> after the Kentucky Fried Chicken and Semignon. Yeah, and if it's a Hunter Valley, which feels a little bit more, I'm just going to skirt past that. Um, if, if it's a Hunter Valley, so it feels fresher and it feels crisper in, with its acidity than, say, something from a, that's made with a higher level of alcohol, um, sort of richer, creamier dishes it will work well with, things like carbonara or risottos, although they're Italian. If you don't fancy an Italian wine... A classic Hunter Valley semillon, something that's quite citrusy and limey, will cut through the richness. And be Do really you know what? I, wouldn't, I never would have thought of, of Hunter Valley really for getting my semillon from. But no. you know what? I'm going to try it now. You should. It's delicious. Delish. Delish. Okay. Yes, exactly. So anything like that will work really well. But as you said, seafood. So anything from oysters to prawns. You can have your mool if you like, your mussels. My mools. Your mools. Our marinade. With, with some frites. My mools are marinade with frites. Yeah, he's happy now. Yeah. Okay, the big question. Yeah. Crisps. Actually... Oh, I've got to prepare for this. I might try and stretch my arms that won't work properly today. Really? How about... I'm going to throw this Go into on. the mix before... before. We were. I, I said as a joke, but actually now I'm thinking, KFC, they do KFC crisps now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yes. They do KFC crisps. Why? Don't know. They're awful. Oh, I'm a, I do apologise for the... I just... I couldn't find the words. I was so no. shocked. Really? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, it's not right, Well, you it? could go with the classic roast chicken. Okay. Actually, I think that's probably a good shout. Roast chicken. Yeah. If you're going posh, maybe those nice vegetable chips. I go back to those. You see, it's my healthiest streak. And you're going to go right back to a crisp now. What would you go with? 
Monster Munch. I knew you were going to say that. I knew. I could just see. I could just see Monster Munch happening there. It was just. Do you know what? I haven't had Monster Munch for ages. I always talk about it, but didn't. I didn't okay, right. it's a digression, but I have to ask you this: Didn't yep. you find that a Monster Munch was almost too big? So you got a value element to each crisp, mm. but it could cause lacerations in the roof of your mouth. Have you ever had oh. a Monster Munch injury? <laughs> I do get um, injury sometimes from the posh ones because they're a little bit harder and yeah. brittle. See, who who knew yeah. it's actually really risky? It is a bit risky. I did find with... We do digress, don't we? With Monster Munch, though, because they were so we're good at it, though. big, right? Yes. If you just get a standard packet, you don't get many in. Whereas if they were much smaller, it's like water molecules, you'd get a load more in. Like a hula hoop. Yep. There you go. Proof. Proof. And you can put them on your fingers with a hula hoop. So you can have one hand for your glass... Added bonus. And the benefit of a hula hoop is because, or maybe actually it's an added benefit of a semillon that has less acidity is that after you've lacerated your mouth with your posh crisps, the acidity isn't going to be so high as to cause you pain and discomfort. Oh, well, there you go. So who knew? Well, listen, um, for more highbrow intellectual <laughs> conversation on wines, winemaking and all things wine, do join us again next week on yeah, Uncork. Exactly. Brian and Kath, one o'clock on a Thursday. You can listen again if you go to the website, river.radio. You can find all the details on podcasts and listening again malarkey. Um, but that's just about it from us this week. What are we going to do next week? Next week? Well, I thought we could look at autumn wines. Oh, so yeah. what, what would you like to drink for the autumn? What's a good wine for autumn? Wait. Or two or three? Yeah, because so you, you get don't get too stuck in a rut because you know your summer wines don't quite cut it as it gets a bit colder, but you maybe don't always want to have a full on red that you'd have in winter. You need something in between. If you need only an interim there was wine. A, if only, if only we knew. So next week we're going to find we're out. We're going to find out, and we'll also talk about Beaujolais. Oh yeah, now that's interesting. Yes, he's saying that sincerely. He's looking at me with a slightly sceptical look on his face. No, but because, seriously, yeah, because they do like the Beaujolais run, like the Cannonball run, but it's with wine. <laughs> there is a marathon in Bordeaux. Is there? Yeah, the Bordeaux Marathon, and you drink at the Chateau as you go round. Oh, do you know what? I learn something new all the time on this you show. do. Listen, do not go anywhere, because here on River Radio, there's loads more stuff to listen to. Um, we've got Annabelle Knight tonight. Tonight, this evening. Yeah, this evening at 7. Uh, she's talking about all things relationships, sex, all relationships. Things kinky. All things all kinky. That. Oh, it's always a good listen, that. Do tune in to River Radio. Um, and tomorrow, the morning brew kicks off at seven in the morning till nine. We also have Pull the Other One, or a version of Pull the Other One, at six in the evening till seven. Through the decade, seven till eight. That's with Tara and Bedford Falls Players Social with Mark Cooper. Mm. Listen to that. That starts at nine o'clock all the way till midnight on your Friday right here. That's impressive. With River Radio. In a world where radio stations are ten a penny. Can I have ten radio stations, please? That'll be a penny, love. Thank you. There is one radio station. There can be only one. 